Live from Chatterbox Sports Studios, it's Off the Bench with Tom Brenneman. All right. Happy Friday morning to you. Hopefully you had an enjoyable day watching some opening day yesterday. This is Off the Bench presented by United Dairy Farmers. We do think Tom will be back on Monday, although he is out of the country, so communication has been limited. But I am relatively hopeful that he will be back, largely because there's things that need to be done around Chatterbox Sports. And uh, that means that I wouldn't have to do this time slot. And if he's not here... You're going to have to deal with probably someone like Reed Mouse, and I know you don't want that. Opening day, uh, it's come and gone, and uh, there's a lot of grandfathers out there that are going to be dropping the old joke. You know the joke, right? The, uh, oh, the Reds can't sell beer, can't sell soda this year, and you just have to, as a grandkid, have to go, well, why? And that's when they drop the old punchline on you. Well, it's because they lost the opener, and then you have to do the chuckle as if uh, you found the joke funny again for the third or fourth straight year in a row look it's been a long week uh i have uh feel like i'm running on fumes at this friday morning so the chat's gonna have to be popping we're gonna have to get the energy up in here tom is uh as i've said before he's on vacation if you uh aren't familiar with that yet but again he will be back on monday i brought uh i brought some folks around here in the room to help me grind through this show we got Nick Kirby. He's in, he's in town. He's in town. Thank you for uh, coming in here on this early Friday morning. If this is even early at 10 a.m., we don't know. For some, it is early. Reed Mouse. I think Reed has made his uh, his fandom known on Twitter lately. And, you know, I think you've been having some fun with it. But we have the original crew. Go ahead. Go ahead, Reed. You got was, something? Well, I was just going to say, you see what I'm drinking over here? This uh, is uh, sparkling water. You guys not, that lose games, right. you, you stick to still. Winner's over here like the Cubs. We get sparkling. Right. Well, if you're not drinking Pawnee water, you're a loser. So there you have it right there. First guy in the room showing that he's a loser is Reed Mouse. <laughs> we got the usual suspect, the Ham and Eggers, Paul Fritchner, Casey McAllister, fellas. Um, just a, no sun, no sunburns, nothing like that from yesterday. Yeah, we, got a little, we got a little Rudolph situation going on with myself, but we're okay. I have a little color. It just doesn't show up on TV. Yeah. We're all good. It was a nice day yesterday. It was fun. It was. Good guys just didn't get it done. Yeah, so we'll, uh, let's get into that a little bit. We got some, uh, some topics for the day that we want to get into. One of them is obviously opening day here with the Reds. We'll get into that very first and foremost. We will jump in a little bit of, of the final four. Uh, Caitlin Clark, we've, we've, we've raved about her. She is probably, maybe arguably, the most entertaining basketball player uh, that plays college basketball on the men's and or women's side. She plays tonight against an undefeated South Carolina team. So that's something to look out for. And we'll also talk about, why not? We'll talk about the the Angels and how they continue to find ways to do the Immaculate. Um, I don't know how they do it, but they find ways to lose games when, when they got the world's best baseball players on them. So uh, let's talk about the Reds first. We'll go around the room here a little bit. Just overall thoughts on... Your experience with opening day, I'll finish with mine, and uh, we'll start with you, Nick. For oddly enough, it's your it was your first opening day at GABP. Um, you can be completely honest. Did it live up to the expectations? Overall thoughts going in? Your takeaway? Yeah, I thought the atmosphere around the the ballpark was was great. Um, it was just really cool uh, to see. Uh, really, the city of Cincinnati just coming out and, and supporting the Reds on opening day. Uh, the game was a little bit of a 
I don't know, just a sloppy game all around. Just both teams just uh, walks after walks after walks. Uh, uh, there's some good moments in the game. You know, Spencer Steer, uh, really great to see him get off to uh, a big start for the Reds, a guy that the Reds really need to take a step forward this year. Um, but, you know, there, there's just – it's it's going to be a season of growing pains, and I think you saw a lot of those growing pains on, on full display uh, yesterday with splashed in some good moments as well. You, you got to uh, read Enjoy Opening Day probably more than others. We won't get into all the details as to why because we don't really want to hear about the Cubs wholeheartedly. However, you did you did get to see a little bit of the festivities downtown. Have you – true, honest question here. Have you ever been downtown for Reds Opening Day at all, or was that your first time down there? I actually or? covered it as a – when I worked at the Family oh, Times yeah. Bulletin. I got, <laughs> I got press. I, I was in there, baby. That's – so my, my – Tell story. that story, would you? Yeah, so I get – credentials to go down there and i'm like man n none of my readers care about well, back up where do where were you writing from van wert times bulletin which is where van wert ohio it's in northern ohio all right along the indiana state line how many uh, hours away from from cincinnati about three hours away it's right. more cubs country than it is anything else probably but we got credentials to go to the, the reds game so i'm like hey i'm going to opening day get there no idea what i'm doing i quite literally <laughs> jay morrison was covering the game so he's normally a football writer. He was there covering the game. I knew Jay. I followed his coattails around because I had no idea what I was doing. I was like, hey, I've never been shown the rose before. I'm just going to follow Jay around. Whatever he does, that's what old Reed Mouse is going to do. So I'm just following Jay around. At one point, he left the press room. I followed him. He was just getting a snack for where, where you can get snacks in the press room. So then I got a snack. Regardless, the game's over. It's the game where Derek Dietrich hit the game-winning home run oh, off yeah. the bench, came like in the seventh inning. I, I forget exactly. My favorite thing is we go down to the locker room. Once again, following Jay Morrison into the locker room. A. Eugenio Suarez is sitting there in a towel, wearing nothing but a towel. He's got three Budweiser's. He's got two in this hand, holding two here and one here. I don't know why he has three beers, but he's answering questions with three Budweiser's in his hands, and I'm just sitting here taking it on. I didn't ask one single question. I don't even know if I pulled out my recorder to, to, to get quotes. I was just sitting there breathing it all in. I was like, this is freaking awesome. And then I, once again, Jay Morrison left. I left. So that was, that was my day as a, as a reporter getting opening day. It was awesome. Have you ever discussed any of this with Jay Morrison at all? I mean, after the fact of saying, hey, did you feel like I was just all over every every move of yours the whole day? When I say I know Jay Morrison, I know Jay Morrison. Jay Morrison probably doesn't know Reed Mouse. <laughs> he might, but it was very much so that he, he didn't realize he was getting he was getting tailed the whole time. I was I'd be a good cop. I, I was I was doing a good just staying my distance away. I watched plenty of uh, police shows to know to know the <laughs> the system. So so now we know why the Reds lost the next eight games is because Aeonis Wars was smashing three beers in the locker right. room. It they was, started one and eight after that that incredible opening day win. Bud heavies love it. But, no, yesterday was, was fun. There was a billion people. I lost a little bit of faith in humanity. I saw a guy, drunk as can be, just walking. He had two pieces of pizza, and he ate, took a couple bites of it, threw it on the ground at the, the lawn at Moraline. I went and picked it up, and then I didn't see him throw the other crust of the pizza just on the ground, and I was so mad at that guy. But lost a little bit of faith in humanity, but the Cubs won, so it gets better. Alcohol will do that to people. Um, will make them do things that they probably would regret later. Um, all right. 
I want to get to the ham and eggers. I know that uh, Casey's obviously relatively new to baseball. He's doing his best to try to get into the game, and I respect that. I think there's a multitude of ways that you can do it. Um, for whatever reason, he ran into Sir Boy yesterday. I look over at the seat. Casey's still not there. I'm like, where did Casey go? Well, turns out another guy with us, Sean, as many of you know, walks out. I guess he goes down the tunnel, and he's like, dude, I don't know what's going on, but uh, Casey and and uh, one of his buddies, they're just hanging out in the in the tunnel. And he's like, well, we don't want to ruin the vibe. The, the, the Reds have scored three runs. Casey, are you that superstitious, or is this just an excuse that you used? No, I, I, was, I was genuinely that superstitious. Oh, no. I mean, we were still able to, like, somewhat peek and look and see what was going on anytime the crowd got loud what is going you on? missed the most yeah, exciting I mean, part of the game because you were superstitious yes <laughs> i mean sir boy can you back me up on this we were we legit while we were gone made a rally back i mean it was one four i mean four to one jinxes don't exist Casey. four to one <clears throat> and i don't know i I believe in that sort of stuff. I believe people should just go away and not come back if, if we make a comeback like that. But it was also it was a good time talking to Sir Boy. We had, we had a good chat. Fair enough. Paul, overall thoughts? Yeah, I'd never been to opening day either at, at GABP. I had a great time. We were down there early, and as soon as we got off, I mean, we had a great lunch at Moorline and got to go out and – see the crowd and kind of enjoy the good weather and everything. I thought it was a great day and uh, got in the stadium and I'll be honest, I knew things were a little off when the flyover was probably 10 or 15 seconds too early because our, our girl Marla Van Hoos, who's a fantastic anthem singer, she does tons of anthems all over the place. She's been doing them for years. She was killing it and then all of a sudden... The flyover just drowned her out about 15 seconds too early. Vibes were off from the beginning. And then uh, the game was going on, and, you know, it got – the Reds got down, tied it back up. You're thinking, oh, maybe. We had that bet. We had India one and a half bases, India and then the Reds point. minus one and a half. We also had uh, a Jake Fraley home run, and he came up with India on second base the last out of the game, and I'm thinking – well, we might not cash the one and a half, but are we going to cash the home run on a walk-off home run? Right. Reds win. Every, vibes are great. No, strikes out looking. <laughs> no doubt. I, I uh, let's let's get into. I'll, I'll get into all the the semantics that are uh, opening day. What I liked, what I didn't like, things that I feel as if uh, we can get into Great American Ballpark as a whole a little bit later in the show as well. Um, I think. Opening day is always going to be kind of like, uh, I think Everett had mentioned this a few days ago. It's, it's, a, it's similar to St. Patrick's Day, right? It's just a big party. It's it's going to be a crowd no matter how good or bad the team is. I seen something on Twitter. I didn't verify this, but I seen something that yesterday was the largest crowd in GABP history, which is wild because they lost 100 games last year. So if anything, give credit to the city of Cincinnati to, 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 to being proud of this day. Um, that's... That's the nice thing to say. The other thing that I would like to eventually see from Cincinnati, at least Cincinnati fans, and I think this is a lot to ask. I'm not being naive here. It's, it's, it, this is a lot to ask of what I'm getting ready to say. And I know a lot of the people that maybe go to opening day aren't real like 
true diehard baseball fans, perhaps it's a little bit of a corporate event, a little bit of, you know, just like I said before, just, ah, let's go have some fun with our buddies. But listen, when you're in big moments, I would like to think when we have a relatively large stadium that you get on your feet when there's two strikes at the guy on third base with, with two outs, you know, like there's times where I think the energy of the crowd could help, help your team. Uh, that didn't happen yesterday, which I'm not saying that it should have happened. I'm just saying that those are the small things that I notice. And when I go to, and again, not to be pessimistic, but I'm just saying, when I go to a Bush Stadium, now, to be fair, when I went to Bush Stadium, they were in a playoff race. It was later in the year. It wasn't like opening day. And anytime there was one of those moments, that crowd got up and it got loud. So um, if, if I will say this till I'm blue in the face, if we ever want to be considered, in my opinion, a true quote-unquote baseball town, I would like for to see those things happen at some point. That's not being me, me being pessimistic. I'm just being honest. Um, other than that, moving forward into the game, there's no question that the flyover would have been absolutely epic if it was timed appropriately. I don't know how they do those things. I'm not going to get into the semantics of it because those people it's probably tough. are a lot smarter than me. Yeah, um, there's no doubt that you know, I'd like to even maybe talk to somebody who does that because, you know, I would I would assume that that they that they circle around somewhere for a minute and then they start heading towards the stadium. And once they start heading towards the stadium, there's no recourse. It's not like, hey, we're we're 30 seconds ahead. We we got to figure this out. Nope, it is what it is. It's you're you're flying over at that point. Um, but man, that would have been. Electric, because that was one. I've had a few flyovers. We had a hell. They had a flyover at uh, Arrowhead for the Bengals game. That was the first flyover, honestly, where like I could feel the vibrations of like the plane. Like it was incredibly like loud, um, and it was just not timed well. I mean, it is what it is. Moving into the game, um, and we'll go around the room just about kind of the little nuances of maybe the the game and where I think that things went awry. The first inning for me, I said this last night to you, Nick, when we did our show, I think the first inning without question is the pivotal part of that baseball game. And I know that it's nine innings long, 27 outs. I get all that. But you get your first three guys on. The guy that you're facing, he damn well knows his history with the Cincinnati Reds, which has not been a good one. He's got early jitters. He's nervous. It's opening day. It's his first game, too. And you come up and you're facing Tyler Stevenson. I don't even think it's arguably our best hitter. He is our best hitter, and he rolls into a double play. We get one run instead of opportunity of scoring two or three, and from there you just felt like a little bit of the air came out of the stadium when that double play was hit. Agree? Disagree? Thoughts? Yeah, I mean, that was a chance to really pile on Mitch Keller, a, a guy that's not had a ton of big league success, a guy the Pirates are, are counting on this year, but uh, you had him on the ropes, and you had a chance to – you know, you want to at least get two runs out of that situation. Bases loaded, no one out. You know, maybe three really put up a crooked number. It just changes everything about that game. I think it makes Hunter Green probably a little bit more comfortable. It makes some of the bullpen decisions that David Bell make have a little more urgency. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, it was a missed opportunity. Uh, really kind of, I guess, set the tone for the game. I think that that's probably fair. And uh, it almost felt like the Reds were climbing an uphill battle uh, soon after that. Yeah. Um, 
where you guys were you were sitting um down the third baseline yeah, right paul yeah wait yeah sort of by the foul pole yeah um from an energy perspective i don't want to say how how loud it got but you know did you feel as if there was any moments to where it got significantly loud or what you would suggest is significantly loud i mean yeah especially at the end there, Spencer Steer's home run kind of brought the crowd back to life. And then at the end, in the ninth inning, everybody was uh, energized. But I don't know. It's so tough because it's not very often that you get a ton of energy in a regular season baseball game around here. So it's a little tough trying to think back to even the last time that everybody was standing in the ninth inning for the last out, which is what was happening yesterday. I thought the crowd was pretty good, especially in the lower bowl. Yeah. I thought it was weird that they said it was the most attended regular season game ever. I know that's the ticket sold. But I love to see the turnstile number because I've definitely – I feel like I've been to games where I've seen more people than that. Yeah. Like, if you looked up in the top, there were plenty of seats all over the place up in the top. Don't section. say that out loud too many times, Paul. You'll have Reed Mouse on your tail because I'm telling you, I feel the same way from time to time. But but, but I do think, to, to Reed's credit, like – Sometimes you look around the stadium right before first pitch and you just have that visual in your head. It sticks with you and you don't you forget to look up there in the middle of the third or fourth inning when maybe it's full. Um, I want to get into Cruz really fast. I thought that there was a situation that I didn't get a chance to watch it on Valley or on, on, on the television. And I think personally when I watch a game on television, I'm, it's much easier for me to be able to kind of be critical and understand all the nuances that have happened in the game. When you're at the game, those things just kind of get wiped away. We've talked about that before on the show a numerous of times. But I thought that obviously Cruz struggled, but I thought there was also a, a pitch that I don't know if they got mixed up on because I seen the replay of it. Tyler Stevenson kind of stabbed at the, at the pitch, which made me think for a minute, maybe he got, maybe they got mixed up on that. Um, you would think with uh, whatever they call the pitch com thing, I think that's, well, I don't know what it's called. Someone can correct me if I'm wrong, but pitch com. the pitch com situation, you would think that the whole mixing up of, of well, they're not even signs anymore, but the whole mix up of, of a pitch wouldn't happen because if it wasn't a mix up, then I'm disappointed in Tyler Stevenson significantly for just stabbing at a baseball with bases loaded um, with a slider or whatever you want to call it, a curveball in the dirt. And that was a big that was a big play as well. I think that heightened again the nervousness of Cruz. Cruz came into a situation where it wasn't simple. It was first and third, first guy out of the bullpen, one to impress, you know, one to impress. And I know yesterday, Kirby, you had said that he pitched in the World Baseball Classic, and you know that's that's really high tension stuff. I think that there's some guys where yes, they might be more nervous pitching in the World Baseball Classic because they, you know, love their country, et cetera, et cetera. But at the end of the day, these are the guys that, that pay the bills, right? Like the Reds are the team that he probably wants to make him as much of an impression on as he possibly can because they're the ones that, that, that send him the check that goes to his bank uh, each and every month or whatever their, their pay cycle is. So he just, he just overthrew, in my opinion. And then all of a sudden, the boot birds started to come. That heightened everything. He couldn't find it. And the odd thing is, is again, not to kill David Bell. We talked about this when he first came in. And Nick, I'll give you credit. You said it right when he came in. You said, this is an interesting move because you would think they'd bring in a lefty to face the part of the lineup that they were in. And they were in a situation where they were one pitch away from getting out of the inning. Now I know that well, there was only one out. 
Um, but your overall thoughts on them just not only leaving him in or bringing him in, but leaving him in beyond the the three base or the three hitter rule. Yeah, I'll walk some of that back a little bit just because Andrew McCutcheon was batting third. Andrew, I have no idea why the Pirates have Andrew McCutcheon batting third against a right-handed pitcher because he's not a good hitter against right-handed pitching. He still crushes lefties. So that probably was maybe the biggest thing in David Bell's mind was I don't want to bring in one of my lefties and give Andrew McCutcheon, who has the most drastic splits of anyone at the top of that lineup, a good matchup. I also think Fernando Cruz probably was a guy they thought – uh, was the most capable of getting four, five, six outs, which actually ended up being two other guys that they probably didn't think were capable, just how, how the game works. I think that probably had something to do with it as well because it was pretty early in the game when they went to Fernando Cruz. So you're hoping to get a little bit of length. Just it didn't work out. I you know it, I don't know. It, it's one of those moves where Cruz just didn't have it. Um, uh, you can't really say much more than that. You know, guy can't throw strikes, guy can't throw strikes. I, I wish he would have pulled him a batter sooner. Um, but I, there's a lot that goes into that. How deep do you want to go into your bullpen on opening day? Uh, you know. Yeah, and I, I heard that sentiment too. Is like, how deep do you want to go into your bullpen on, on opening day? With the day off the next day, like today, you got a whole day off. I would assume that you just, you, you I'm not saying you empty your bullpen, but I mean, I would be much less concerned. Uh, about trying to go deep into the well on opening day as opposed to, you know, basically maybe a, a stretch where you play 10 games in uh, 10 days or something along those lines. But, it, you know, it is what it is. Coaches lose, players win. Um, Cruz has to come in. He's a professional athlete, and he's got to throw strikes. It's, it's one thing, like I said last night as well. Here's my overall thought on Cruz as well. I actually, if you want to take the optimistic side of this is there's a chance to where you could give him a, and I'm not trying to give him a pass, but you could say it's reasonable to suspect that a guy coming in that situation could overthrow. He could get nervous. It's not a matter of him be, maybe being good enough. It's just a matter of, of the circumstance and the situation, right? To where if he were to come in and give up five straight base hits and give up six runs in a row, you, then you're like, okay, well, maybe he's just not good. So that's one thing. I'm, I know that's being a little bit ridiculous when it comes to positivity, but that's the only hope that I have. If Cruz comes out of the bullpen again, I'm not. I'm not really like closing my eyes. I know Hunter Strickland is is probably somewhere laughing. I don't know. You know, he's I, gonna be in Louisville. Yeah, it's one of those things where I, I, it's a tough job. Being a relief pitcher is is not for the the weak minded. And uh, hopefully Cruz can bounce back because you got to you got to wonder what he's going to do the next time he gets his opportunity because this he's going to have to sit on this outing for quite some time. I went and watched. I'm watching the Tyler Stevenson that, that wild pitch again, and that's not on Tyler Stevenson. I'm looking at the pitch. He's not to get too in depth on on catching stuff like that, but he's set up on the outside and he's already in a blocking position with knees on the ground on the outside. Because these guys throw so hard and you got to be able to receive. So it's much easier to receive when you're on your knees as opposed to standing in a very static position. And Cruz bounced it in front of the plate on the inside. So he couldn't, he didn't have time to shift his body to the inside. So that's just a wild pitch on, on Cruz. Tyler Stevenson doesn't, that's not on Stevenson just being lazy and stabbing at the ball. That's, that's a, just a bad, really, really bad pitch from Cruz on the wild pitch. Right. And like I said before, I didn't get a chance to see it on Bally. I seen one replay of it. And I just assumed by the way that it looked, I didn't, I didn't see 
and again, I'm, I'm not a catcher. You've been a catcher. I'm not, I'm not here to, to, uh, try to insert my, my knowledge in a subject matter that I don't know a ton about, but it just looked as if he kind of reached for it really quickly when I had seen the Twitter replay. But if you're saying that essentially he set up on the outside corner, um, uh, not to get into the, the, into the semantics of catching, but you know, I mean, you're, you're going to have some people that argue whether or not he should be on a knee or not, but when guys throw as hard as they do anymore, it, it, it leads to the fact that you got to be in a position where um, you're just hoping that the pitcher executes on what they're supposed to do, and, and that's what you're getting at. Right, yeah, you, you're, sit, you're sitting on a knee because, one, it, it's easier to receive guys that are throwing harder, and two, you called, you know, a breaking pitch is coming, so you're ready to block when it's given to you, but you're also sacrificing mobility laterally. Right. So when they miss, when you're signed up on the inside and they miss all the way on – when you're set up on the outside, they miss all the way on the inside. You don't have the mobility to get to that right. ball. And the only thing you can do is, you know, be a first baseman and try and stab at right. it and, and be a hockey goalie. Be a hockey goalie and basically try to, yeah, pick it with your glove. Right. Um, so, bright spots, Spencer Steer, uh, right? I mean, I don't know. I kind of want to just hear your thoughts, Paul. You watched some of the game. Was there any anything that you had seen during the game or any player that you had seen do something that made you think, man, that was – that was relatively interesting, or did you did that just kind of slide by? Or are you too busy well, drinking some beer and peanuts? No, I mean, I, I look. I, I'm not gonna. I didn't go back and watch any of the game afterward. Like, I'm not gonna sit here and, and break down film or anything. But it was just nice to see, so like our guy Vossler, who I had never even heard of before yesterday morning when I was trying to read that lineup. Big Voss. And I go, I have no idea who this guy even is, and he comes up with a triple. Uh, Spencer Steers home run, Jonathan India, nice little, nice little shot there in the ninth inning. I mean, there was some offensive production there. And the other thing too, I was sitting there thinking about the pitch clock because that was the first game that I had really sat and watched in, at the major league level with the whole pitch clock. First three innings were cruising by, then the fourth, fifth, and sixth mm -hmm. just just grinded to a halt. No doubt. And then seven, eight, and nine kind of picked back up. I mean, it ended up being a th like right on the money pretty much at three hours. So even still, with all those runs and hits and pitching changes, I mean, 15 combined walks in the game. What are we doing? I mean, is this a, is this a Little League game? It's opening day. What are we doing? 15 walks? Come on. McCut major leagues. McCutcheon didn't register his first at-bat till his fourth time to the plate. He was 0 for 0 with three walks and an RBI going into the eighth inning. Yeah. And I'll tell you who impressed the hell out of me. He wasn't Cincinnati Red. It was the the uh, O'Neill kid from from Pittsburgh. That dude's a stud, man. I, I I tell you what, like he 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 maybe I haven't watched him enough, but he just plays the game very very nonchalant or relaxed, and he just looks like a guy that's just better than everybody. Um, at least he comes off that way. It's not every day you see a six foot seven, two hundred and thirty pound shortstop that can hit the ball four hundred feet and can throw the ball hundred across the diamond. So he's you know, we'll see if it translates. Right. But man, he's got he's got all the tools. All right, a couple of things I want to get into as well. Jim says I don't know why they have replay because the video shows Fairchild was safe at second, but someone in New York says nope, he's out. I felt that hurt as well. Of course that hurt. I, I when I watched it on the video board again, I haven't. I don't know if Casey's able to try to find that on Twitter or somewhere. If there's something that we can probably pull that up. Um, Here's my overall thought on that situation. The play on the field or the call on the field, whatever you want to call it, is going to be the thing that we all latch onto when it comes to replay. We've done it since they started doing replay, right? The call on the field stands 
is the quote-unquote typical way of saying it's so close, we're not going to mess with it, so you go with the call on the field. Here's my overall issue with that. I think, let me back up, I think they got the call right based off the rule sets that they currently have, which is if it's, if it's not clear and obvious to overturn, you got to keep the call on the field. Here's my, here's my issue with that in a, in, a, in a whole. Why are we relying on a human being to make a call in live speed and they're the one that hold the ultimate judge on whether a call stands or doesn't stand? Even in football, even in basketball, even in baseball, it should be whoever's watching it in super slow-mo replay Whatever their gut tells them, whatever they think it is, that should be the call. That should be the call. Because it was unbelievably close. He's bringing it up here now. And here's my issue. I know that this is the screenshot. I don't know if his foot's on the bag there, if we're being completely honest. I'm trying to be a non-partisan you know, fan here. I don't think his, I don't think his foot's on the bag there. I know that that's the screenshot that's gone around Twitter. I know that maybe you could say, how in the world would he would he not get his foot to the bag based off of where uh, O'Neal's glove is? But that's just not how it works. So I got the actual clip here. Go ahead and run the clip, then, Casey, if you got it. I just got to put it in here real quick. Okay, go ahead. I'll 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 finish my point while he's bringing this clip up. Is if anything, let's get upset at the idea that we've not come to the conclusion yet that the people that should be making the final jurisdiction on a call should be the people that get to watch it on four different angles in incredible slow-mo replays. It shouldn't be the guy that made the call live on the field. Like, well, it's, it's somewhat close. We're not sure what it is. I know that's probably difficult to see, and I don't know. Are they going to show like some slow-mo stuff here with it, Casey, or are you yeah. not sure? Yeah. So, like, I, I, like that angle to me, guys, if we're being honest, I think that he's getting touched just before he hits the bag. I know it's incredibly close. I mean, it's all you got to really do is look at the dirt because the dirt spikes up as soon as his foot hits the dirt, right? Yeah, but, I mean, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter until you hit the bag, and the bag doesn't really get plushed. I'm just... Listen, I get it. I understand why you're frustrated. Because in the stadium, I thought he was safe as well. And then I watched the three or four more replays. My initial thought he was safe. My second and third thought was like, damn, that's really close. And my fourth thought was like, he might be out. So when you get to that point, if we're being completely honest, you're not going to overturn the call on the field. So that's the, that's the number one issue here. We shouldn't be relying on guys that make calls, boom, like that, as the end-all, be-all if, if a play call is relatively close. Um, I think replay gets it right 99% of the time. I'm not a big replay like, oh, it's terrible. If we, if we have it and they don't get it right, we shouldn't have it at all. It is what it is. Your overall thoughts on that? I, I don't want to be the... Uh... How long till we have uh, sensors that tell you when the foot touched the bag? <laughs> uh, True. That's a good point. Now, the only problem with that is then it has to be correlated with when the glove touches the, the, the person. You think they could time that up with, like, the video feed to the exact millisecond? Yeah. I don't know. I'm pretty sure they do that stuff. Maybe the, the bases turn green when there's a when, – when the <laughs> bag gets touched with the side. Yeah. 
AJ, I'm going to help. I, I'm going to tell you something. And I know there's a lot of people that have this myth. So uh, and I'm not I'm not getting on you for saying this. This is this is, this is something that many people say. Uh, Ty does actually Ty does actually does not go to the runner in baseball. It doesn't. That's a little bit of a myth. Like in literally or not literally, excuse me, in like um, wiffle ball in yeah. the backyard and stuff like that. You always have like, oh, Ty goes the runner. But the rule book states that you actually have to um, beat the beat the out or whatever the actual phrase is. Mm -hmm. You have to beat the throw. So based off of that language within the rule book, you actually have to beat it, which means that if there is a quote-unquote tie, which many would argue, and I would, that there's no theoretical tie because when you get down to hundreds of milliseconds, right. it's, it's, there's never going to be a tie unless it, you hit the lottery type situation. Um, so tie doesn't go to the runner. And it doesn't mean that you're, you know, I don't want to make it sound like that you're the only person that thinks that, but I don't know when that miss started. I don't know how it's gotten there, but that's one thing that I've always heard that's just inaccurate. Did you know that, I assume? No, I didn't know that. I, I, I always went with what you said, that there's no such thing as a tie, right? Right. You know, and, you know, your eyes can perceive a tie, but in actuality, there's just mathematically no chance that a ball hits the glove is secured at the exact same time that your foot is hitting the bag. And I always, I, I honestly didn't know that. I always just assumed that the throw had to beat you, not you had to beat the throw. So if, if, it, if it is, quote unquote, a tie, then the throw didn't beat you. So, but I didn't know that, no. Yeah. And I, the only reason that I know that is because I umpired and I actually had thought that myself for a little bit of while. And then you get around people that have umpired for a really long time that are with you, and then they start sharing all these crazy rules. And then, and then you get into the Rules Academy with, with Chris Welsh, and you start realizing there's so many things about this game that you just don't know, even though you've been around it forever. And it makes guys like Casey McAllister scratch their head and think they're never going to figure out any of this stuff. Um, all right. The last thing I want to share about opening day in the Cincinnati Reds is this. I got on Twitter this in the morning yesterday for opening day. I didn't mean any harm or foul of doing this. I wasn't even trying to start any kind of argument and or start any kind of quote unquote beef about anything. But someone had tweeted that, you know, it seems crazy to me. I'm on Twitter and everybody just wants to talk about the red or the uh, Bengals draft and they're not really worried about opening day. And I just quote tweeted it and said, Hey, look at the screenshots. And I screenshotted basically the ticket prices of not diamond seat tickets, but just like infield and outfield box seats. And they were like 250 bucks. Listen, it was a beautiful day outside. I'm not naive. I know that that's part of the reason as to why that was the way it is. I also know that there's 81 home games in a major league baseball season. Of course, the ticket prices are going to drop significantly after this. But my main point in this message that I'm getting ready to share is, is like, why do we think that as some kind of fan base within Cincinnati, if you're a Bengals fan and or a Reds fan, that somehow it's a competition? Because at the end of the day, I don't view it as that. It's two completely different products. I seen people jumping on the chat yesterday telling me, well, one team's trying to win and one team isn't trying to win. Well, I don't want to go down too far into this rabbit hole here today because I really want to keep things relatively light and insightful and fun and not get into the weeds and get people all riled up. But I don't think either of them are true. You, you can... You can understand the dynamics and the business side of baseball is significantly different than said football. One team in this town is currently good 
going to try to win championships, which is the Cincinnati Bengals. And I and we and we hope that they do that. As Reds fans, you should be happy that the Bengals are doing well. And if you're a Bengals fan, I think it's it's reasonable to understand that you weren't that you were you weren't that far removed from also being in said same place. So to sit there and try to dunk on people because you just think that whatever for whatever reason that since the Bengals are good that no one cares about it anymore. Well, or no one cares about the Reds anymore. Excuse me. Well, here. A couple arguments I want you just to stop using if that's what you want to try to do. One is ticket prices and attendance. Okay? If the Reds, I want you to visualize this and think about it logically for just a second. If the Reds had eight home games all year long, do you think for one second that that stadium wouldn't be filled every single time? Because it would. It would. But the other part of this is, that's not a slight against the Bengals. Just because I say the Reds would sell out every single game doesn't mean I think that the Bengals aren't doing things the right way. They're doing great things. They're trying to win. I also think the Reds are trying to win as well. It's just unfortunate that in baseball, I'm not trying to make excuses for the Castellinis. I'm not a Castellini stan. I, I, I think the guy, like I said before, he says some stuff that's absolutely ridiculous and you should hold him to it. But to compare the two products is tired. It doesn't make any sense. You don't have to try to pit everything against each other. It just it becomes toxic for no reason. And I know Twitter is a terrible place to go to try to see if there's relatively rationality in the world. I know Twitter is a bad place to get a, a, a good feel for what is reality. Because the reality is yesterday there was an absolute boatload of people down there that were enjoying themselves, that were interested in Reds baseball. And you know what? It's okay that all of those people wake up this morning and they're still interested in whoever the Bengals are going to take in the NFL draft. Those two things can be the same. So I just wonder why some people decide they want to try to pit these things against each other. And all it does is it just sucks the life out of both things and it turns into pessimism. And the next thing you know, people are complaining because they say the Reds stink and that they don't want to win. All right. Look, you, what, what, oh, go ahead. I was going to say, do you, do you feel like it's more sibling rivalry or more? Do you feel like it, it is more toxic than just, you know, your, your classic sibling rivalry because they are siblings and, and they both share this city? Do you think it's something greater than that or do you think it's just, just pecking at, at one another as siblings do? I think, it's a, I think it's a frustration from one fan base that made fun of the other fan base when the other fan base was bad and then now it's a reverse course so then maybe you think you can get your shots in now. When it's like, I, don't, I'm not, I'm, I guess I'm being stupid by saying maybe be the bigger person and realize like, you don't have to go after the other fan base anymore. But, I mean, I get that I, I, that concept as well. Uh, Paul, you are going to say something. Yeah, I just remember back in 2018, I was driving back to Xavier. It was winter break, and they had just signed Marvin Lewis to an extension. Mm. That was right after the Bengals had been not good. And the, the Bengals had signed Marvin Lewis to an extension. And I very infrequently, I, I do not ever listen to talk radio um, but for some reason that night, I turned on Cincinnati talk radio and I was just listening to all the phone calls for a, like an hour, yep. a long time, just driving back into Xavier. It was winter break and I'm sitting there listening and it's just one call after another, after another of people saying, I hope they move the team. I hope I'm never going to go to a Bengals game again. 
I'm gonna I'm not buying season tickets next year. I'm I'm throwing I'm donating all of it, the amount of people that were donating all of their Bengals gear to Goodwill. I mean, everybody was donating to Goodwill. Everybody was canceling their season tickets, and a significant number of callers said that they hoped that the Bengals just moved out of Cincinnati because they didn't care about the franchise anymore, and it was clear that the ownership didn't care either. And now four years later, we're talking about five years later, we're talking about competing for consistently competing for Super Bowls. If the if the success had flipped there and the Bengals had stayed mired in obscurity and the Reds had put forth even kind of any sort of financial effort to make the team good and relevant to a point where they could compete consistently for World Series championships, we're talking about a at completely apathetic Cincinnati fan base toward the Bengals that is all in on the Reds. And instead it's flipped. And now it's the Bengals in, instead of the Reds, which is why I have contended for a while that it's still a baseball town until you can convince me otherwise because of scenes like yesterday and how desperately people want the Reds to be good. But the Bengals are good right now. They're the flavor of the month, and they will be for a while. Because they're good and their ownership is putting in effort. They have one of the best players in the league. They have one of the overall best teams in the league right now. And it looks like they're going to have that for a long time. So it's fun for all of us to go down and watch the games. It's fun for us to spend a Sunday watching the games. It's not fun for us to watch the Reds night in and night out. We do it because we like the team. I will always leave the Reds on in the, in the background at home while I'm eating dinner or whatever. But we're, we're talking about a Bengals franchise that had lost its fan base consistently year over year. And just five years ago, people had written them off. They were fine with people with them moving. And now here we are, Super Bowl contenders. So it just it is what it is. It's a rotating cycle of success here. And Cincinnati hasn't seen success in 33 years. So it comes in the form of the Bengals right now. Yeah, so celebrate the Bengals' success right now. You don't need to use the Reds as a springboard for that. They have plenty of success on their own. Like, that's great. Congratulate it. But if you feel the need to get your licks in now, get them in quick because there's a lot of good talent coming to Cincinnati, and it'll flip soon. I love Reed's eyeballs. Reed, Reed's not a believer, and that's fine. I, here's, here's my overall thought on the, on the Castellinis. I'm going to leave it at this. I don't know Phil... I don't know Bob. I'm going to leave, leave it to judge as far as who they are as people aside. Okay? They might be great people. They might be the worst people. I don't know. I'm just going based off of what, putting myself in their shoes for just a second. I think that Phil okay, may have, to use Jim Harbaugh's phrase against Ryan Day, he may have landed on third base and thought he hit a triple in life. And that doesn't mean that you can hate him for it or love him for it, but that's some of it. And he comes off that way. However, some of the things he said, and I get that the, I get people in here arguing over him saying that 75% of the teams in Major League Baseball are out of it on opening day. You can say what you want. You can be as mad as you want for him. You can say that, 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 that he's said idiotic things before, and you could say what he's trying to do is the wrong thing. But you can't completely deny the fact that some of the things he says, although they are not eloquent, aren't true. 
There is a relative issue in Major League Baseball in the way that the league is handled and ran. I'm not suggesting that it's going to change. I'm not suggesting they should change it. I'm not suggesting that the Reds should be able to just use that as an excuse. you got to find a way to win. At some point, it's professional sports. You put your big boy pants on, you don't make excuses, and you find a way to win. And you know what? I think that's started to change in the Reds, in the Reds culture. And I'll give Nick Kroll maybe some credit for that, possibly. Because... Nick Kroll or somebody went to management and said, this is the way we have to do it. We're going to put our foot down. I know for, I know for a fact you're going to get crushed because I have to trade Luis Castillo. I have to trade Kyle Farmer. I have to get rid of these guys that these fan bases, they like and they want. And if we trade them, you're going to be, you're going to be the scapegoat. But we have to do that in order to build up a, a farm system that, compete, that can compete in a couple of years. And I know we've heard the rebuilding thing. Far too often in this town. I'm not denying that. But I'm also not going to deny the fact that the Mets, the Dodgers, the Padres, the Angels, the Cubs when they want to, they can all just spend, the Yankees, they can all just spend a ton of money and eliminate or erase what you've been trying to work on for three or four years at the drop of a hat because they can spend the money to go do it. And that in and of itself is a function of a bad system. So when he says 75% of the, 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 the teams on opening day aren't going to possibly be in a race, he's not really wrong. He's not wrong. You can hate the player all you want. But he's, he's a part of a game that that is accurate in. Now, again, that's not making excuses for him. But we can't sit back and be naive and think that if they would have signed Castellanos, let's go through the list. Nick, you know it better than me. If yeah, they, they would have signed Castellanos, they keep Castillo, they keep Winker, they keep Eugenio Suarez, they keep all these guys. I don't know if you've looked at how, they, how well they've performed when they left. They keep Sonny Gray. If they kept all of those guys, go look. Go look at the Dodgers roster. Go look at the Mets roster. Go look at the roster of all these teams that you think can win a world championship and you ask yourself if Kyle Farmer playing shortstop with Sonny Gray and Luis Castillo and all of these guys is good enough to compete with those teams. And the answer is no. So you got to build up a farm system and you got to get, you get, I don't want to say lucky, that's, the wrong, that's a strong word. You got to be right on three or four or five prospects. So when they come up, similar to the Cubs, as much money as the Cubs had, the reason the Cubs won a, a championship is because they hit it right on the nail, right on the head, about four or five guys. They all came up together. They were really good, and they won a championship. That's exactly what the Reds have to do to win a championship. They're never going to, quote-unquote, buy their way to a championship. It's impossible based off of the financial circumstances that Cincinnati in and of itself provides. That's simple. Any thoughts on that? Yeah, there's this real bad uh, misrepresentation that the Reds were just going to run it back after 2021. They win 83 games. They wouldn't have run it back. You look at the players that contributed to that 2021 team. You start in the outfield with Winker and Cassianos. Neither one of those guys were even close to their same production in 2022. You had Wade Miley have a career year. What do you make, five starts with the Cubs the next year? Yeah. Tucker Barnhart, he was really, really bad. And you can just go on and on down the list. The only guy that that was better was A. Eugenio Suarez, but I don't think he's going to make up that gap. Sonny Gray was hurt a lot for the Twins. Yeah. They just weren't going to run it back. So 
I get the frustration. It's really hard when you had a team that was that close to just you know decide to, to pack it in and, and move forward. But I think you have to give Nick Crawl some credit for seeing ahead because it would have been even worse if you had just held on to these guys longer. This is what caused, in my opinion, the first rebuild to drag out as long as it did because you held on to guys like Johnny Cueto and Todd Frazier way too long and you diminished your returns for those guys. For, for what it's worth, me and Kirby were talking about this yesterday. I, I also think there's a misrepresentation about teams that spend a lot of money that they are constantly in the championship hunt, which they are constantly in the playoff hunt. But you look at baseball as opposed to basketball, as opposed to the NFL, baseball has a great diversity of teams that have won the championship recently. Since 2015, only one team has, has won twice, and that's the Astros. And, you know, they're, they're a, a major market team, but you got the Royals winning. You've got – in other sports, you don't have teams like the Royals coming out of, coming out of nowhere – at the bottom of the league for, for 40 years, never competing, and then, boom, on a shoestring budget, win the World Series. Or the Nationals. No other league has had a run like the Nationals had, where the Nationals were, what, five games under 500? And at 14. The, 14 games under 500 before, around right. June. Right, yeah. Like a good part into the season, Man. and they make a run and come yeah. out of nowhere and win the whole thing. Should have lost in the wild card. Yeah. You don't see that in other sports. So the, there is a – when you have money, you can constantly compete. But the teams that win it all have the same blueprint. And as much as it kills me to say, the Reds are following that blueprint. And uh -oh. that is build the farm system. Right. When it's time to go, when it's time to rock and roll, you then supplement the, the base, the foundation that you have, the frame of the house, and you start buying some new windows. You start buying – you know, a new door. You start printing it up with some veteran players. The Cubs did this with John Lester. The Astros did this with, with Michael Brantley and Justin Verlander. All these other veteran names to supplement what their farm system has. Yeah, and I mean, I get the point. Jim says that, that he doesn't want these guys to be traded. The India, the Stevensons, the, the Greens, when they become relatively close to free agency or available. Of course, You'd like to hold on to this notion that you're going to be able to keep some of these guys. But the reality is, is if there are people out there that have humongous pockets and human beings are human beings, they like money. As much as you might want to stay in Cincinnati and as much as we might offer them a quote unquote fair deal, if there's someone else out there willing to offer a deal that doesn't make any sense, then they go a la angels. Do you think that the Cardinals fan base for, for, for one second loved the idea of Albert Pujols leaving and going to the, to the Angels? Do you think that they're probably the radio station probably had their phones just lighting off every single chance they had a, an opportunity to complain about the fact that, that Pujols left? I bet they did. But you know what they realized? They probably realized after a while Mike Colchman's a pretty damn good player too. They also realized probably in Houston – and I don't know off the top of my head, I'm not nearly as good with names as you guys are, but Correa leaves, and, and next thing you know, because they've been building the farm system up, they got another guy that comes up and plays shortstop, right. and you could arguably say, I don't say he's just as good, but he's pretty damn good. I know that sounds wild, I know that sounds crazy to think, but I'm just going to throw out a hypothetical to you. Let's say India 
plays unbelievable for the next four or five years. And we love him. And the Mets come calling and they say they want to sign him for $350 million. Are we going to do that in Cincinnati? We can't. We can't do that. It doesn't make logical sense for us to do that because if we do do that, you got to get rid of everybody else. You can't go get the quote-unquote windows and the doors and the things that Reed just talked about. So what you do is you got a guy like Edwin Arroyo who might just be just as good, maybe a little bit less good, but you got a huge value out of Edwin Arroyo, and he comes and he's your second baseman. That's how this whole thing has to work. It has to work that way or else it will never work that way. We'll never be competing for championships on a regular basis. And, and I'm not saying it's even realistic to ask the Reds to be competing for championships on an absolute regular basis. That's a difficult thing to do. And I do understand the logic of many of the pessimistic fans who are going to say to me, Trace, you've been, we've been doing this for 20 years. Well, I don't know about that because they were relatively good in 2012 and they had a little window there. But when that window started to close, to your point, Nick, we never let it go. We just try to hold on to these guys and hold on to these guys and hold on to these guys. And by the time we let them go, we got, we got a basically a bag of baseballs for them. So anything that you want to add? Reed, you're probably as knowledgeable as anybody when it comes to this stuff. Well, the, the one thing that, the, that does shoestring the, the Reds with their budget is they don't have many bullets, right? And the, the, the same analogy that I just used, when you, when you go out to supplement your young talent to get the veteran pieces, you can't miss. You cannot miss. The Cubs have, you know, they, they swung a miss on Jason Hayward. $150 million for a speaking fee and a 17-minute rain delay. That was, that's all we got out of that. Hey, that's a big deal, though. Hey, right. right. <laughs> now, now, people forget that the, that the Cubs also signed John Lester and Ben Zobris to, uh, I think, combine about $230 million between them two. And those both hit w w out of the water. But the Reds cannot have a Jason Hayward signing. The Cubs can swallow that, right? They can go out and be like, all right, we, we can go out and get you, Darvish, a few years later. We can go out and get Dansby Swanson a few years later. The Reds miss on a $150 million, $160 million signing. They are in the red, quote-unquote, pun intended, for years to come. So when it is time to either re-sign their players or go out and get that big veteran piece that they think gets them over the hump, they can't swing and miss. They, and they're going to have to do that. So you better hope damn well that it's a for sure thing. Yeah, and that's where I think that this notion of the Joey Votto contract for some people becomes a little toxic because I love Joey Votto. I think he's done everything in his power to become the best baseball player he can possibly be. He's represented the Cincinnati, uh, Cincinnati about as good as one can. And he should be absolutely celebrated for that. I don't think that it's even relatively reasonable to complain about Joey Votto one iota because he outplayed his contract. But the opposite side of the argument could be made is that for a position that he plays and for has as cash strapped perhaps as this ownership group slash city slash small market is, you aren't getting a great value for the money that you're paying at that position. And again, to be clear, before people want to cast me off, I love Joey Votto. Joey Votto deserves the money he made. He played that position at that level, if not higher. He might have outperformed his contract. So I guess if we want to complain about anything, we can complain. It, this all comes down to one thing. Let's be honest. One thing. Are the Castellinis truly making a bunch of money and we don't know it? 
Or are they right in saying they're not making hardly money, any money at all, and they're just fighting this big old uphill battle, which is the MLB and the financial structure and how the whole thing works? We'll never know because they're not going to open up their books, and that could be debated until the end of time, and we're not going to do that. But that's the main point I have about the whole entire situation with the Reds, some of the pessimism, some of the people that might look at this and think that the Reds aren't trying to win. I think for the first time in a long time, I'm excited because I think they got a guy, Nick Crawl, who understands it. He gets the game. And I think he's convinced the ownership group that they're going to have to just go along for the ride one way or the other. They're going to either they're either going to get killed or they're going to be Mike Brown. That's simple. And all I, that matters is if you win. I think there is one good parallel with the Reds and Bengals. And, and I don't follow the Bengals as close, so apologize if I misconstrue this at all. But Casey, you would know... Was the Bengals' biggest issue was that Mike Brown didn't let the football operations people do their job? Was that is that fair? Um, yeah, I mean, I think that's 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 a pretty good fair assumption that we could make. Yeah, yeah. So I think the Reds, for the first time, are really letting the baseball operations people do their job. The guys like Nick Crawl, where before they were hamstrung. They couldn't trade Billy Hamilton. They they couldn't trade Jay Bruce. They couldn't. They had the All Star game. They had to keep these guys. Uh, there was none of that last year. The Reds were getting dunked on publicly more than I've ever seen, and they stuck to their plan. They stuck to their guns. They traded Luis Castillo. They traded Tyler Malley. They got the max return for those guys. So that's what to me feels the most different about what they're doing now. And look, I get it. It sucks that the Reds have only been to the playoffs. Three times in the last, I don't know, 20 years at this point. That sucks. That needs to change. They need to get to the postseason more. It's not the the postseason losses. It's that they didn't get to the postseason enough. Mm -hmm. You need more opportunities. Because the postseason is a giant crapshoot. And get yourself into the crapshoot as much as possible. And I think what the Reds are doing, they stick to this plan, and they really see it out, is going to give them a chance of not just getting to the postseason one time for a nice, cute little run, it's going to give them a chance to maybe make the postseason four out of five years and really give this franchise its first real chance, maybe the first real chance since 2012, to actually have a team that could win a World Series or at least make a deep run into the postseason. I see some people saying that Joey Votto, you know, I, I see the Votto slander. I guess I don't get it. Largely based off the fact that when you're a professional baseball player, the only thing that you can do is what is what you do when you go to the ballpark. The rest of the team, this is a very individualized game. It's, it, it is what it is. Like, Joey Votto, just because everyone else didn't perform and or just because the Reds have stunk for the most part of his career, doesn't mean that's his problem. And that's my main point, is if you're going to argue that the money that he makes holds you back and doesn't allow you to go get other people... Well, that's not his fault because the truth is there's probably every bit of – and Reed will know this better than I. There's probably 20 teams in Major League Baseball that would have taken his contract at any given moment and taken him like that. So just because the ownership group doesn't want to spend money, doesn't sh that should not fall on the back of Joey Votto, and it shouldn't fall on the back of Joey Votto because they gave him the money in the first place. He, he has done everything we could have asked him to do. He's a hard worker. He cares. He's a good teammate. He's a good citizen. These are guaranteed contracts, people. He could have been a lazy slob. He could have come in overweight every year. 
He could have not cared one iota about anything. Instead, he's done his... And again, I, I'm not saying you should praise him because he's done his best, but think about it for a minute. He outperformed the contract. There's many of teams that would have liked to have Joey Votto for what we were paying him just because the ownership group can't spend the money to go get more pieces does not fall back on Joey Votto. It never has. It never will. You can make the argument that he should have never signed him, but what do you want Joey Votto to do? You want him to look at management and say, oh, you want to pay me $250 million? Are you sure you want to pay me $250 million? Because you might not be able to go get XYZ in about four or five years. Are you sure you want to give me this contract? I, I really love it here. I, I don't know if I want to sign on the books here because I, I don't want to afford the opportunity of you being able to go get other people. Hello? Of course he's going to sign it. And he's had some success here. Hell, he might, have been, he might be a Hall of Famer, man. He's a Hall of Famer. He's a Hall of Famer. So... I don't want to go down the rampage that is Joey Votto. But I'm just telling you, if you think that he's been a colossal failure or you think that even for the slightest second that he's been a terrible thing for the Cincinnati Reds, you have no clue what a bad contract in baseball looks like. I don't understand why Joey Votto gets as much hate as a guy like Homer Bailey. And I'm not even trying to crush Homer Bailey right now. But look at those two contracts, and you tell me which one was the bad deal. One thing that uh, me and Kirby talked about yesterday that I actually didn't think about, and let me preface this by saying that every penny of Joey Votto's contract was worth it. But Kirby said something to me that I'd never heard before, and it's you never pay a first baseman. And, it, and I started thinking about, is this similar to my take on running backs in the NFL? You never pay a running back? A lot of similarities here. And the fact that, you know, running backs, they rush for 1,000 yards. They score 17 times. They're at the forefront of your team. So you're thinking, yeah, this person's worth the money. First baseman, more often than not, 30 home runs, driving in 100 RBIs. But are they closer to a, a dime a dozen type of player? And I'm, and I'm looking around. Let's look at a team that has, you mentioned this yesterday, Kirby, we were talking. The Brewers have a similar budget to the Reds. And look what they've done over their run. Back in 2017, Eric Thames was their first baseman. He hits 30 home runs, gets on base 36% league of the time. League minimum. Yeah, league minimum. You go to the next year. Jesus Aguilar, 35 home runs, 100 RBIs, 35%, 30, 35 OBP. Then you go on to who they had in 2021. Rowdy Tellis. Never heard of the guy before he played for the Brewers. 30 home runs, gets on base 36% of the time. So for a team like the Reds that are shoestring by their budget, is it time now, and maybe they're realizing this after the Joey Votto contract, with one who once again was worth every penny. He lived up to his contract. Is it time to where they start realizing that they can't push their money towards a first baseman when they can realize that they can get another first baseman who can hit 30 home runs, who can get on base 36% of the time, 35% of the time for a couple million dollars is that because that's what the the brewers have done that's what the rays have done that's what the guardians have done so it's 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 an interesting thing to see the parallels between running backs and first basemen across the two leagues yeah any thoughts comments from the uh ham and eggers I, I don't have anything on that but i do have something a little bit like kind of related to the reds where i, I think back to the nationals in 2019 and, and what the nationals did between 2011 and 2019 where they really started to play better baseball and then 2012 they finally made the postseason 12 14 
16, they didn't do anything. 15 was Harper's MVP year. They didn't do anything that year. And then, like Reed said, in 2019, you know, they're 12 games below 500 on May 24th. They rally a crazy game to win that game. They come back. They, they get in the wild card. Probably shouldn't have won the wild card game. They win the World Series. Well, here's what happened. The Nationals went all in on that. And like we talked about in the minor leagues two years after, because there was no minor league season in 2020, it was abundantly clear what was happening with the Nationals, and nobody on the outside really realized it. And every time we would play the Nationals double-A team, their team the, they would talk about it, and they say nobody realizes what's coming here with the Nationals because they, as we always said, sold their soul for that 2019 World Series. They went out and got guys. They acquired guys. They were an old team that year, they, especially on their bench. They, they had older guys. You think back to like Howie Kendrick. Ryan Zimmerman was on the older end of, of his years there. Adam Eaton, a lot of those guys. But they also had an incredible pitching staff. And now look at where they are, where they played as well as they could, got to Game 7 of the World Series, won it, and now are – maybe the worst team in baseball alongside the A's. I know the classic argument is you just want to win a World Series. It doesn't matter if you're bad afterwards, so be it. But I look at how bad the Nationals were in 2008, 2009, 2010, competed for seven years, won a World Series, and now have completely fallen off the cliff to where they are even worse than they were in 2009. And I think to the Reds, where they've just been so consistently bad that they're like tantalizingly close at points, but they're not great but they're not the worst team in the league and I I I don't know I go back and forth on this with like with the Nationals where you're glad that they won the World Series but you wish that you could build sustained success and then you look at like what the Reds are trying to do now where it seems like at least on the horizon there is some sustained success that might be out there but it's so hard in baseball unlike in football or some of these other leagues to try and build that year over year. The Cardinals have done it. The Astros have certainly done it. But if you look at teams like the Nationals or like the Royals, they're on the flip side of that. And, and you just hope that the Reds in the front office are building more toward sustainability than just falling off a cliff. Yeah, and I, I, don't, I don't think we use this term enough in sports because I think it's relative. I think that it's a thing. It's called luck. I think sometimes you get lucky. And I think that there's sometimes you get unlucky. This Reds front office and Nick Crawl could do an unbelievable job. And I'll knock on wood before I say it, but if two or three of these guys have career-altering injuries, that could change the complexion of the whole entire thing. The Houston Astros, I mean, if, if a couple of those guys that they were expecting to come up get career-altering injuries, they might not have ever been the Houston Astros that we've come to know. So, and I'm not suggesting that that's happened to the Reds and that's why they're in the spot. Don't, 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 get me, don't get my words twisted. However, I just think that we put way too much emphasis sometimes on some of the moves that, that, that the front office make. And when it doesn't work out, we, we fall back and we just want to blame it on the fact that they don't want to try to win. Because, again... Not I just like playing devil's advocate to many of you. That's all I'm doing here. In fact, I understand why you're frustrated. I'm not naive to it. But let's not act like this ownership group didn't also try to go win back in 2020. Mike Moustakis was about as good of a boat anchor. I understand. That was a horrible contract. But they got Castellanos too. Trevor Bauer came over. 
that was a pretty damn good team. Or at least it was a team that was good enough to make a run in the playoffs. And if you can make a run in the playoffs, you can win the World Series. That's how I view it. I don't view it as the Reds have to be the number one overall seed to be quote-unquote good enough to win the World Series because it's been proven before, as we've talked about in this office already this morning, is that you just got to make the playoffs. If you make the playoffs, you got a chance. You get hot for a couple weeks, you win the whole thing. The Giants proved that to us in 2012. They were dead as they were as dead as dead can be. Right? They were. I know that hurts. And I know bringing up 2012 stinks. But you just got to get to the playoffs. I mean, look at the Dodgers and how good they've been. And yes, they, 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 they've won it all. But you could also say arguably last year they were about as good as you could possibly be. And then they get knocked out. Also, for, for what it's worth in the misconception about these big market teams is they also, like the, the Dodgers are at the top of, the, of Major League Baseball when it comes to developing talent. They are consistently bringing guys up. Now, they could also go out and spend $400 million on Mookie Betts and, and, and $200 million on Freddie Freeman, all these things. But they are consistently having guys that not only are good coming up through their farm system, but that win Rookie of the Year's. Yeah. And the same with the Astros, the same. So the it, farm building is, ju- is, is, right. is, the, is the, the engine of a major league team. And right. they're stubborn with trading their prospects too. Right. They don't, oh, we got, a, we got a window here this year. We, we, got, a, we got to go get our reliever. No, they're, they're not giving up those guys. They're keeping those and spending. And that's what is, that is what has changed the game more than anything is that before you had these teams that just, well, we spend, spend, spend. And then you had these other teams that, that develop, develop, develop really well. Well, now you got some teams like the Dodgers that are doing both and are being smart about it. Mm-hmm. And that's what has made, I think, the game the most difficult for some of the smaller market teams. Yeah, they took what was Moneyball, right? And they said, okay, that's great. I'm glad to see that the A's are doing Moneyball. I'm glad to see that, you know, uh, these smaller market teams are finding ways to win. And next thing you know, what happens? The folks that have the resources, they start doing the same thing. And when you have resources on top of the analytics, on top of the money ball type of, uh, of philosophy, the next thing you know, you're better than everyone again. Um, not hard to figure out. All right, we got some other topics we'll run through today. Uh, let's preview the final four really, I don't want to say really quickly because I always say that. Uh, and then if there's any interest, any interest at all in watching Caitlin Clark tonight. Any, any thoughts on Caitlin Clark, Paul? Oh, I'm yeah. What I'll, time? What time for the people? Oh, uh, good question. I don't think that up. Is it the nine o'clock game, Casey? Nine o'clock. Yep. I, is it on ESPN? Yes. ESPN Plus, I do. No, 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 no way, no, no, Casey. No, no, come no, on. No, the Final I'm Four. Serious. I'm no, being no. serious. It'll be, I mean, it will also be on ESPN Plus, <laughs> but it will be on ESPN. Yes, it'll be on ESPN. ESPN, ESPNU, ESPN Plus. Yeah, yeah. Beautiful. I love. I love. <laughs> We're gonna get on your case, Casey. I'm gonna tell you right now. You you drop <laughs> me. You drop me that they're gonna put the the most decorated women's Final Four game in the last hundred years <laughs> behind a paywall on ESPN Plus. I would. They would never live that down. <laughs> they would never live that down. That would be the worst. That would be the worst marketing tactic in the history of ESPN. And they've had some brutal ones. It is at nine o'clock. Nine o'clock on ESPN. Caitlin Clark. If you have not seen her play, I suggest you watch. Just sit down and enjoy yourself. They're playing. The number one team in the absolute country. Haven't lost a game yet in South Carolina. Caitlin Clark, maybe they neutralize her tonight. Maybe they find a way to, to, to make her not look as good just because they are 
quite significantly better than Iowa. And I she's, mean, she's been doing this for years. I mean, this year she's really burst on the scene because she's had, I guess, more electric plays than maybe she has before. But she has been doing this for so long where she's just the go-to scorer for this Iowa team. And she is so fun to watch. I mean, she'll she'll come down with 22 seconds left on the shot clock, just pull up from the logo, and it's going in. It doesn't matter. It's going in. Deep. And whether it's a game-winning shot she hit this year, that fadeaway uh, uh, elbow three that she hit. Um, what? Keep going. Oh, 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 oh. Uh, and she, uh, yeah, I mean, she's just been she's just phenomenal to watch. Well, it's not only that she's a good player. She's an entertaining player. Like, I think those two things can kind of coincide. If you watch Tim Duncan play, Tim Duncan, great player. Not exciting. Right? You watch Steph Curry play, on the other hand, you can say whatever you want about that guy. There for a while, and Reed can attest to this, I didn't really watch the NBA a whole lot. I, I had heard Steph Curry obviously was tearing it up, doing great things. I sat down one night on accident, turned on the television. I watched Steph Curry play for about seven minutes of basketball, and I just couldn't believe how much how, how much better he had gotten since I had watched him play at Davidson in college. I mean, he could shoot, but I'm talking about his, the way that he was able to dribble, the way that he handled the ball in, in between traffic, and then all of a sudden he just would, would take two, two steps back and then shoot a fadeaway three, and it was just literally nothing but net. Like, that's fun. Kaylin Clark is fun. She, she will pull up from logos. She will make, you know, no-look passes. And I'm just hopeful that she – I hope she lives up to the hype tonight because there's going to be the most eyeballs on her that she's ever had in her life. No one's ever seen her play before. Probably, I'd say, 70% of the public that watches this game tonight will be the first time they ever watch Caitlin Clark play. I just hope that she lives up to the billing, and then that's good for the girls' game. Yeah, and just to put in perspective about the women's game and, and kind of where we're at and how good – South Carolina is Iowa with Caitlin Clark is 11 and a half point underdogs no. to South Carolina. The, the Gamecocks are, you talk about UConn. I mean, UConn's not in this final four for the first time in forever. South Carolina is what you think UConn women, what they are. South Carolina is an absolute wagon. They have a player named Aaliyah Boston, She's not as, I guess, exciting as far as like pulling up from three and, and making those electric plays like Caitlin Clark does. Um, but South Carolina is 11.5 point favorites in this game against Iowa. The other game, if you're talking about, uh, I guess, gambling lines or whatever, I'd lean LSU over Virginia Tech. LSU minus 1.5. That'll be a better, just a game. Uh, Kim Mulkey is the coach. If you remember Kim Mulkey, fiery, yep. fiery coach with some eccentric outfits. She used to coach at Baylor. Um, she is the head coach now at LSU. She and the Lady Tigers are one and a half point favorites over Virginia Tech tonight. But that's in the first game. That's at seven. She rubs me the wrong way a little bit. Kim Mulkey? Yeah. She rubs, yeah, she rubs a lot of people the wrong way. <laughs> I, Especially you, Reed. No, I was just going to say, I've never seen Caitlin Cork play. Beautiful. Oh. Never have oh. seen her play. Oh, wow. Never have sat down and watched the Iowa Hawkeyes. She's fun, man. She's so fun. I, she's just so good. I, I, You know, like when you watch something and you quickly realize there's someone out there that's just superior to everybody else, and she's not like she's uh, – she's she doesn't remind me of uh, – this is a terrible analogy, but she doesn't remind me of the big kid in Little League either. 
Like she's not like just overpowering people. Mm-hmm. It's not like she's like, oh, well, she's just she's just more physically gifted than everyone else, and that's why she's gonna be able to do what she does. Just as long as she's LeBron James to a certain extent, she just drives into the lane and lays the ball in because no one else can stop her. She's just skilled. She looks like she's been working on her craft since forever, and she's literally mastered it almost. Is it you guys compared her to Steph Curry? Now Steph Curry has a little more staying power than the name I'm about to say. But is it more Steph Curry or Jimmer Fredette? Oh, Jimmer. Hmm. To the women's game, it's Steph Curry. Okay. I think. Yeah. To okay. the women's, because Jimmer Fredette was totally, like, you could see that Jimmer was not probably going to pan out too much after the college game. Is I, wrestling still a big deal? People in the chat out here, they're just. WrestleMania's this weekend. Two nights? What? We got a great card, guys. We've got a great card. Edge versus Finn Balor in Hell in the Cell. I haven't watched wrestling in probably three years. And I'm just looking at the card. Got Brock Brock Lesnar versus Omos. Are you kidding me? Fire me up. $10 for the pay-per-view? I'm in. Is I'm it in. only $10? They do the subscription thing. So it used to be like $100, oh. and they did a they did a pay-per-view every month. And it'd be like 60 bucks for all the other ones and 100 for WrestleMania. They said, listen, most people are only buying the Royal Rumble and WrestleMania. Let's get people's money all year long. So they started WWE Network. And now you get all the pay-per-views. I like that idea. I like that idea. Uh, Let's talk about the men's Final Four for just a moment. I don't want to say it's the least interesting Final Four uh, in the last, I don't know, how many years. I don't even want to put a date on it because I don't know for sure. However, I could understand the sentiment as to why that would be the case. But I I also would say there's a really good chance there's going to be really good basketball. And anytime there's really good basketball, I'm going to watch it. And I know San Diego State is not a sexy team, but they are scrappy. They do play the game incredibly, incredibly well on the defensive side. Sometimes they're going to, you know, they look like the classic Mick Cronin, UC Bearcat basketball team. That's that's who they are in a nutshell. That's what they do. They're just going to turn the thing into a rock fight. It's going to be 62 to 59 and see if you can find a way to win. Um, on the opposite side, FAU is Dusty May 100% leaving FAU. No, he's staying. He's, he's staying. staying. Is that that's that's a he's thing? Staying, yes. Did he get an extension? How do we know he's staying? Yeah, yesterday they talked about it. He's staying at FAU. They have millions and millions of dollars that they're investing into the program and into facilities and everything else. So he is staying at FAU. Does he think he's going to turn it into Gonzaga East or what the hell is I he doing? I don't know what he's. I don't. They're know going to what, the Sun Belt, right? What? I think they're going to the Sun oh, Belt. are they going to the Sun Belt? Yeah, they're not staying in Conference USA. Oh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. But before before we get into that, how about our guy uh, from North Texas last night, Matt Norlander, breaking the news while he's on the stage accepting – I'm watching him accept the NIT trophy, and he breaks the news that he's leaving to go to another school. He's going to <laughs> Did Texas Did you Tech. say North Texas? Did you say North Texas? I tried to find that clip. Couldn't find it. But yeah, North Texas won the NIT, and as he, as Grant McCaslin is standing on the stage accepting the trophy and hugging his players, Norlander has a tweet out that says he's accepted a you know multi-million dollar offer to go to Texas Tech, which we all knew was coming, but it was just hilarious to actually see that the news broke as he was on the stage. But yes, this Final Four is uh, it's a unique one, especially after last year where you had you know Duke, Villanova, Kansas, North Carolina. This one is I, I just. The ratings for this tournament have been so good. 
This has been an exceptional tournament for the NCAA as far as ratings go. A lot of people have watched. I don't know if this is a record-breaking tournament, but it is, uh, it's been talked about as one of the best ratings tournaments in a long, long time, which is why I think that it's being undervalued how captivating this might be. I think you get up to the Final Four a lot, and everybody talks about making the Final Four and how fun the Final Four is, and then you actually get to the Final Four on that Saturday night. And then it's on a Saturday night, and it's like the viewership. I, I always kind of get, you know, well, okay, it's Saturday night. So that's why I think the Thursday and the Friday sometimes do better. It's a weeknight, and there's not, not much else going on. But uh, Saturday night, Florida Atlantic, San Diego State. No nine seed. I think it's a greater than an eight seed. Um, when you think back to these teams that have made these, these runs, you know, if you think back to VCU, all these teams, I'm not putting Florida Atlantic in that category. I'm going to take Florida Atlantic here at plus two and a half. Uh, I have not looked at the, like, the money or where – I haven't looked at any of that. Yeah, I haven't either. I'm purely basing this off of how these teams have played this year, purely basing it off of, of what I think will happen, like, on the court. I'm going to take Florida Atlantic plus two and a half. I – think Connecticut wins the game, but five and a half to me seems like a lot for a, a Miami team that honestly matches up really well with UConn. Miami has some great guards. They get after it. They get up and down the floor. There could be a lot of points scored in this game. The total is 17 and a half points higher in the Miami game than in the FAU game. So in a game like that where you kind of get out and score, I might lean Miami, but I, I think UConn there's a chance that UConn wins both of these games by like 25 points, and it's just we're not even we're sitting here on Tuesday morning going what what even happened? Yeah, uh, the, as far as the money goes and the traditional systems that we look at from a gambling perspective, shout out Betfred uh, 21 plus in Ohio. If you have a gambling problem, call 100 Gambler. Um, is 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 a big nothing burger. There's not really any leans one way or the other. It's FAU has 60% of the money, 50% uh 56% of the handle and then UConn has 62% of the handle, 70% of the, the the money. So it's nothing nothing overwhelming on one side or the other. Um, especially with like a 6 point spread. I mean, that's a five and a half, six point spread right there for Miami and UConn. Miami's been playing well enough to where you think that like I said before, I would be scared to lay that many points against a, a UConn team that again I know it was earlier this year, but for a decent stretch of time, they were not the most consistent basketball team. Um, all right. Well, One Kirby, thing to bring Kirby, up. What are your thoughts? You've, you follow college basketball. First off, I love this Final Four. I, I'll be the weird guy that is obsessed with this type of Final Four. I could care less if Kentucky and Kansas play in the Final Four. Like, that does nothing for me. I love seeing teams that are uh, – you know, playing for the first time in the Final Four, which three of these four? Miami's never been, right? Miami's never been. So three, three of the four. I, mean, I think that's awesome. I think that's really yeah. cool. Uh, FAU is going to the AAC next year, not the okay. Sun Belt. So uh, I guess that probably is a step up for them, especially with Conference USA completely restructuring. But nonetheless, maybe they do have some some save up there. I, uh, I think I'm taking the under. In Florida Atlantic, San Diego State. I have uh, been 0-4 on Florida Atlantic bets one way or the other. So I'm just going to go on over under. And I think I'll do the over in Miami-UConn. So I don't really like these lines. I think they're they're sharp. So Okay. 
Uh, Sean Spurlock brought up a good point before the show. He asked, and I think it's pretty safe to say, has there been any conference? And he said, is Conference USA, is FAU going to do this? Because if FAU does it, uh, Conference USA is going to take home the NCAA, the NIT, and, of course, the most prestigious of all, the CBI. The Triple Crown. The Triple Crown for Conference USA. That's really impressive. I asked the question, and maybe there's someone in the chat that knows. I know there, and I'll say I know, that's not true. I highly doubt there's been anyone that's won all three tournaments from the same league. And we assumed before the show without doing research that there's some conference that's probably won the NIT and also the NCAA in the same exact year. But as we started digging through it, it was hard to remember who won the NIT, so we didn't really get to that point. Maybe, maybe we'll do some digging on the next, maybe Box Lunch will have that as a factual thing if FAU is able to pull it off on monday let's do a nit versus ncaa champion six game seven game series see see which tournament is truly better the nit or the ncaa tournament that draws in the ratings baby stretch this out into june winner winner takes all you lose both your belts well i've seen some some rumblings and some tweets about the fact that the ncaa tournament is going to expand its field i don't know whether that's true or not true paul's going to be much more knowledgeable about this than me i see people screaming and yelling about it i seen that there was a quote could be completely false please debunk it if it's not true uh paul that jim laranaga who should hold some weight when he says something it according to the sources that i had seen again didn't fact check this a ton, that Jim Laranega was in favor of a 96-team tournament. Yeah, that's not going to happen anytime soon. I'm not saying it won't happen. Just contract-wise, it won't happen anytime soon. I don't think it should go to 96 teams because all you're going to do is you're going to get – look, we already have enough. I wouldn't even complain if it – 64 is a perfect number. They moved it up to 68. They threw the playing games in Dayton. That's fine. It's a great event. That's, that's perfect. There's no reason to go to 96 games and take a third of Division I college basketball and then just muddy up the waters with an extra weekend and you say, all right, we're going to throw in, uh, oh, yeah, Maryland. They were 15-15 and 15 this year. Let's throw them in there. Oh, Arizona State, they were 16-5. and f I'm not saying the records this year, but you know what I mean. It's like we don't need more middling teams in there. If, if anything, what they need to do is they need to look at a team like FAU this year who was good by every metric of every way you look at FAU this year. They were like a five or six seed, and they got stuck as a nine seed because of their name. But they're 17th in Ken Palm, which is better than Duke, Memphis, Miami. They are eight, five spots. They are five spots higher than Miami this year. It's just... I just don't understand what we're doing here where we don't need more of these middling mid-major or, you know, major conference teams. What they need to do is figure out that there are FAUs every year, maybe not a ton of them, but there are some FAUs every year that are very good that either don't get the just treatment in the tournament or just don't get in at all. We don't need more. We just need to refine how we figure out what who's going in the tournament. But on the same side of the coin, I know the big schools and the viewership are what pay the bills. So that's a losing argument all the time. But The NCAA will not stop until the entire Big Ten is in. losing the first weekend. you got to put the entire Big Ten 
in the tournament. That's how we roll, baby. Put them all in. It Ma sure seems like it, doesn't it? I mean, I've been thinking that myself because as, as much as uh, Sean, like I said, a lot of my information I keep spewing up here is from Sean Spurlock. And he, and he, he always talks about the idea that he thinks that maybe some of these lower leagues are just way better than everyone wants to give them credit for. They just assume that they just assume based off the names that these teams aren't as good. And the only reason they have said record is because they play in a bad league. Well, the American, you know, I know Houston fell out of the, the, the tournament earlier than they would have hoped. But when Memphis was playing FAU, you could make the argument that if Memphis played FAU 10 times, they'd at least split, if not Memphis winning more than, than, than their fair share. And FAU has obviously proven that they belong as better than a, whatever they were, an, an 8 or 9 seed. I'm not sure which seed they were. Are they a 9 or an 8? They're, the They're the 9. So right. my main point is, is they've proven they belong. I think that there's more teams that are not big branded names that probably belong in this tournament, but it goes back to the case in point of what Paul brought up before, which is this tournament cares a lot about viewership. I don't know if it matters anymore, if we're being frank, though, like as far as the brand that goes with it. I think the tournament has built up such a reputation, Paul, yeah. that people watch this tournament regardless of who's in it because they just know that, 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 that there's crazy stuff that happens. There's the Fairleigh Dickinsons of the world that beat Purdue's. There's the FAUs that run the table and get to the Final Four. George Mason did it years ago. This isn't the first time. It's not going to be the last time. So I don't buy into the fact that if yeah, – I'll throw out a hypothetical. If Wisconsin is on the bubble over a team from a smaller league, that if you put Wisconsin in, the ratings are going to be better because Wisconsin's got a bigger fan base. I think gambling, to a small extent, has wiped that completely out as well because there's just a lot of people that are going to watch these games regardless, and the fan bases don't matter. Now, you could argue the ticket sales might make a little bit of a difference depending on the locations, but there's no question that they're already paying attention to that because that's why uh, you can say whatever you want. That's why Auburn played in the regional that they played in because they knew they were going to sell that place out. Like it or not, maybe I'm a conspiracy theorist, but Wright State played in the first four last year. They won by 25 points. Well, they played in the first four because, well, the first four is played in Dayton. Am I being a conspiracy theorist? Maybe. But I, I think that they've proven the NCAA does care about, does clearly care about the fact that they want to sell tickets at these arenas and they don't want them to be ghost towns. Um, yeah, I mean, Sean's bringing up your league that you've followed relatively closely with Liberty in it. One would make the argument that Liberty is probably good enough to make this tournament. Well, Conference USA, I mean, North Texas was 31st in Ken Palm. UAB was 47. North Texas? <laughs> it's a joke. Sorry, it's an inside joke. It's an, well, it's not inside. Tom Tom got on Paul one day. For those that don't know, well, I don't know what the whole subject matter was, but I know how it went down. Paul was being incredibly knowledgeable about college basketball because he's a nerd. He knows everything about it. And he brings up the fact that somebody beat North Texas. It was FAU. So he said, yeah, said FAU beat North Texas twice. Yeah. And, and I know that, you know, Tom said, did you say North Texas? Yeah. <laughs> As a joke. So that's where that comes from. But no, I mean, I think some of I think these teams, what they did in the NIT, what, what FAU's done in the tournament, I think they've proven that – more of those teams deserve to be in. Uh, and, and a lot of those teams, people who don't know, Paul would know better than me, those teams get blackballed on scheduling. High major teams will not schedule a team like FAU 
for any sort of remotely a fair shake. They might say, oh, yeah, you can come to us three straight years. We're not going to pay you or anything. It's very, very difficult for those teams to schedule because I think the net has really uh, incentivizing just scheduling the worst possible opponents, beating them by 40 points, and it it just shoots your efficiency ratings up. So I think more teams like that deserve a chance in. I think that would be better for the sport. But again, it all comes down to, I think, what brands do they want in. I, I hope that, that that could be a great thing about gambling is that it's been a uh, level the playing field a little bit in terms of enjoyment of these games. But uh, yeah, those are two teams that I think really deserve to be in. Yeah, and, and the other thing with the Final Four is when they talk about the ratings and how this isn't an eye-catching Final Four because it doesn't have Duke, North Carolina like last year or whatever, sure, you might get a handful of casual fans, but the amount of buzz that Florida Atlantic has generated this week, you know there are going to be people that tune in. There are going to be people that watch this Final Four because it's the Final Four. It doesn't matter who the teams are that are in it. So now to your point, Kirby, yeah, scheduling is very hard for a lot of these smaller teams as they try to get up and play some of these high major teams because those high major teams don't want to take a risk. The net, you're, you're spot on with the net. Um, but yeah, I mean, we're just to a point. And the other thing too with conference tournaments is that there's no rule that says that the conference tournament champion is your auto bid. Each individual conference gets to determine how they send their team to the NCAA tournament. They could pick if they want. If the commissioner of the league said, I want Cincinnati to go to the, to the tournament every year, theoretically, they could do that. They, each conference is, is up to their own whim of however they want to determine it. But because of the TV contracts, everybody does. Well, now the Ivy League even does too. Everybody does the conference tournament because it's exciting. It's March Madness. Right. Conference tournament week is great. And they know that if it wouldn't play for an auto bid, you'd risk a TV contract. But there's nothing that says your conference tournament champion is your auto bid. That's just accepted. So if you look at, like, the NIT, they take all of the regular season champions that didn't make the NCAA tournament, and you see some pretty high-quality mid-major basketball because it's teams that were the best in their leagues throughout the year that didn't make the NCAAs. Is there any way that you could come up with this crazy idea that probably would never come to happen. But one thing that I just had thought about when we were bringing up the idea that these teams don't want to go play these lower level teams because they feel like there's nothing to gain. Is there a way where if the NCAA makes enough money, which they do with this tournament, that they could try to build in a precursor, like almost like a, uh, almost like a bubble week, a bubble weekend preview or something along those lines to where, um, there's almost this, flex schedule that's built out that teams know that they have to they they that that if they are within this window with Kim Palm that they also could have to they're going to have to play one of these higher level teams that is in their league that are a one bid league theoretically a one bid league that are more than likely going to win their quote unquote championship and then they have to play them so we we get an opportunity to see oh wow FAU they're just really damn good they beat the brakes off of Rutgers yeah. To where if if FAU, throwing out hypothetical, loses to North Texas and they don't get the automatic bid, now we're looking at the idea of saying, okay, we at least got an idea of gauging the game. It doesn't mean if you win, you're automatically in. If you lose, you're automatically out. But it does start to force the hands of some of these, these big power programs to have to play one weekend against some of these smaller schools that they don't get an opportunity. 
So, Kirby, I have a feeling we were going to talk about the exact same thing there. <laughs> uh, you can – Brian Thornton, who's the commissioner of the WAC, he's a Xavier guy, and he's now the commissioner of the WAC. He created this. He proposed this, and this was extremely close to happening, I think, for this season or for next season, which if you remember way back to the late 2000s, there was the bracket buster scheduling, which was sort of the same idea. But this, that exact thing that you laid out, Trace, was on the table, proposed, needed a few more signatures and a few more approvals. They didn't get it, and it fell through. But that, that is very much a thing, and it's not totally been dismissed. It's, it's something that is out there. It's been proposed. It didn't happen now could happen in the future and it's something that yes so if you have a memphis and a somebody else who is on the bubble there is a, a an open date at the schedule at the end of the season and there's a whole article you can read on it um it's it's there's an article from cbs i'm looking at it's from may 12th of last year copy that and throw it in the chat i will it's it's the bold new college basketball flex scheduling model and it is it's incredible i'd encourage everybody if you care about college basketball to read it because it's exactly what you're talking about and it would breathe even so much more life into the sport kirby you you would probably know it just as well the the bracket busters were awesome that was one of the biggest shames when they got rid of that in college basketball there was a season where murray state started like 27 and 0 uh and they got to play St. Mary's, who was really, really good that year as well. It was an ESPN game. Dickie V was there. It was a really cool experience. But it wasn't just for, like, the top mid-majors. So, like, pretty much any mid-major could sign up to join this. And then, like, a couple weeks before, they would pair them up with where they, they would, you know, it would be a good matchup. So even the teams that aren't even really competing for, like, an at-large, a team like NKU could get a high-quality matchup against uh, maybe like Ohio University, if both of those teams were having good years. And that could help maybe just be a, a determination between oh, who gets to be the 14 and 13 seed. Just a fun game in the middle of conference play to give these teams an opportunity. Uh, a lot of the higher, the, the teams that had really good years got a nationally televised game. I really hope they bring that back. Because for anyone who's a fan of, of a mid-major school, it was just a really, really cool experience that was universally loved and praised. Well, more than likely, the reason that things get nixed are because of uh, either whether financial reasons and or there's people that are of, uh, of, of bigger programs or institutions that don't like an idea so they get rid of it. Or maybe some other reason, I highly doubt. But usually it's one of those two things. I'm not sure why that, that, that would have gone away if it was as praised as it was. But I think college basketball could use a couple more marquee-type events or moments in the season that, that really try to boost up the regular season. Because if we and I say we, but if it doesn't happen and that doesn't happen, we're going to always keep keep putting ourselves and pushing ourselves into this, oh, it only matters in the conference tournament and the, and the March Madness. Yeah. And it would be fun to have something during the regular season that felt like it carried a little bit more weight than a quote-unquote normal conference game or winning your conference. Uh, because quite frankly, at the end of the day, I don't know how many college basketball fans – uh, really marvel at, at, at conference championships maybe as much as they would if 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 you were playing against a lower seated team or higher higher seated team or however you want to look at it a lower a small school versus a big school I think that draws the David versus Goliath always draws eyeballs and makes people interested um, I don't know if they'll do that or not all right the Reds they get back in action on Saturday, I had mentioned before, I am going to most likely try to go that to that game. I don't know what the weather looks like. I know, Paul, you had mentioned before you were doing some digging. 
Um, what is, not to make you the weatherman here, but what's the weather look like on Saturday for those that might be interested in going to the Reds game? And then are you telling me I'm going to have to, uh, I'm going to have to be a liar and not go to an FC game because it's going to be 20 degrees outside. Here's, here's what I will say. Here's what I will say. All right. That's $2 tomorrow. It is supposed to be for the FC game. Either high 30s or low 40s and about 24 mile an hour winds. Can't do it. If you wait a week, there there are preliminary showers next Saturday, but we're talking about maybe upper 50s or low 60s. That's better. Which is better. That's next Saturday. They're home two Saturdays in a row. It's supposed to be cold tomorrow. But tomorrow is supposed to be miserably cold. I thought the high was like 63. What was I looking at? Maybe Sunday. I thought I saw the high. What time's the game? Is it an evening game? Four o'clock Reds game. The Reds game's at four. What the time's the FC FC's? game's at seven thirty? Oh, so it's in the evening. Hmm. Uh, Little bats kick off tonight. Yeah, tell them about it. Seven thirty. They haven't announced the roster yet. I don't even know who's pitching, but Louisville at Nashville seven thirty. If you got your MLB TV subscription, should be included free with it. So you know, I'll be dialed in. I went to a Louisville Bats game back in 2019, 2018 maybe. It's a bachelor party. And uh, we go to the game, and it was bourbon night there in Louisville. Oh, yeah. And what bourbon night consisted of is for a dollar. Oh, boy. For a dollar, you got four shots of bourbon, which is exactly what a bachelor party needed. And we're sitting out in left field, and Colton Wong's little brother, Keon Wong, Oh. He's playing left field, and we're talking him, talking him up, and we are fully convinced that he's going to come out with us to Second Street Live, Third Street Live, whatever their Louisville's district's called. We're like, Keon, come on, man. What are you doing? Like, let's hang out tonight. He's like, it's Fourth Street Live. He's like, going to Fourth Street? Going to Fourth Street? I'm there. I'm there. Where are we going? Like, PBR. All right, I'll be there. I'll be there. And we're like, dude, we're going to hang out with Keon Wong tonight. I straight up. Tweeted him like, hey, man, we're at PBR tonight. We didn't see Keon Wong. Ghosted. you kidding me? I mean, he was just – he was pulling our leg the whole time. We had two – we spent too many dollars on the bourbon shots at the game. But Fair yeah. enough. Paul. Yes. Am I looking at the wrong thing? Uh, uh, so, Paul's right. So, the high is, is decent, but it's high in the morning, but it just like – Yeah. Yeah. As the day goes on, it's not it's not fun. It's going to be uh, 46 at first pitch with 22 mile an hour winds. Yeah, real feel 36. So all those all those folks that were absolutely uh, on the Bengals bandwagon yesterday, saying that hey, wait and just 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 wait till the next game. Boy, are they going to be right. Wait until you see the crowd on Saturday. I mean, there might be 2,000 people there tomorrow. Maybe yeah. I'll be there. Lodolo. Versus who, who we got on the mound for the Pirates? 43-year-old Rich Hill. Oh, no he's got, way. He's really? Got, Rich Hill had the best player weekend uh, nickname. So during Players Weekend, they, they get all nicknames on it. And Rich Hill's Players Weekend nickname should be at least. What is uh, another name for a dude named Richard? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And yep. then yep. What's, what's, a bi- what's a bigger hill? A mound. A mountain. So that's his name. That's what, that's, that's what they want his player weekend name to go by. Old Dick Mountain. <laughs> you think they'll do it? Hasn't yet. Probably but that's, that's, that's what a family, what Cespedes family barbecue always yeah, goes. Yeah. Put Dick Mountain on it. Yeah, why not? Why not? 
Are you are you excited? Are you excited uh, as a Reds fan? Are you excited for the City Connect jerseys? Because I think sure. they're on the way. They're yeah. on the way. What's our expectation? Do we think it's going to be an old school vibe? Probably, because that's just the way that all of Reds kind of alternative uniforms go or are they going to kind of do a modern approach what's your thoughts on the the city connect for cincinnati so a lot of people start to think about like is there going to be something about skyline on there is there going to be something about porkopolis i don't think it's gonna i think if i had to guess what their jersey is going to look like it's going to have something to do with the queen city if i had to guess put a crown on it or something like that but it'll be something queen city might say queen city across the, the front with a crown if i had to guess alex said uh c trent so that it was going to be black. I, yes. didn't, I didn't catch that. It is black. I don't. I don't know why I know that. I like that uh, black Paul's, jersey Paul's they, they rolled out, out in the out early two thousands. No, I, I don't know why I know that. Somebody told me it was going to be black. Mm. Big yeah. league Paul. Big league. Big league Paul. Big league Paul is not right. one out of sources. Speaking of which, we almost made it. We almost made it all the way through the show, but your old boy here, he didn't forget. We're not going to talk about it, but I know you heard it. I heard it. Did you hear Katie Blackburn behind closed doors? Just saying. Just saying that guy might not be around. We'll see. Not not rooting against it or for it. Just saying that it'd be pretty unreasonable for, for him to make as much money as he's going to make. JM28? That's him. Not going to bring his name up because I was going to make it through the whole show without doing it. But if you haven't heard it, I should go listen to it. Might, oh. change, might change your perception on uh, where things are headed. All right, guys. Anything? Final thoughts? Parting words before the weekend? We'll go around the room. Nick? Well, hey, thanks for having me down. Enjoyed hanging with you guys. Uh, looking forward to this red season. We'll see how things shake out. But Nick Lodolo tomorrow. Let's, let's celebrate right. Nick Lodolo Day and have a good time. What's up, Raider? Cubs are in first place. Dansby Swanson had three hits in his, in his debut as a, as a North Sider. So good old win for the Cubbies. By the way, I told you guys that it was free money parlaying the Cubs money line and the Pirates money line. That was the easiest no-sweat bet that I've ever, ever placed. So thanks, Bet Fred, for the $50 free bet. If you guys want to bet on some baseball tonight, you want to do a little nerfy, why not take the White Sox in the ass? Quit, quit touching your microphone so we can hear you. Sorry. <laughs> take take the take the Astros Nerfy. Take the Astros Nerfy. Got Christian Javier and Lance Lynn on the bump. So take that under. Okay. Paul. I'm looking forward to the Final Four. Fire me up. Final Four. We get the national championship on Monday. We got two two college basketball sessions left. Three games. Two sessions left. Yeah, I'm fired up. Should be a good weekend. Uh, I, it's, it's a bummer that the weather is supposed to be so bad. But so it goes. Got plenty more weekends left. I, I, I will make it to an FC game soon. I was hoping to go next Saturday, but looks like if there's no weather in the forecast, I'll think I'll be there next Saturday. Maybe we'll go next Saturday. Yeah, I, 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 I want to finish up with Casey's thoughts. I'll finish with mine, and we'll go yeah. from there. Go ahead, Casey. Um. Looking forward to Miami versus FC. And um, the only other thing that we didn't really talk about is um, that is soccer-related is the fact that Vasquez is being looked at a lot. And he might be leaving the team right in the oh, middle of the no. season, which oh, would be no. absolutely devastating. <laughs> Gut punch. Um, like, literally would ruin 
probably would ruin FC's chances of winning the championship. Like, that's how important this guy is. So, mm. that's tough. Well, there's always next year. <laughs> just take just take the, the cue from the other two sports teams. Always next year, big dog. Uh, is it ownership's fault? Are we not paying him enough? It's Castellini. Oh, wow. at the play. It's, it's a, Castellini. Think of, think of MLS as the AAA, or not even that. It's probably like AA. So when they get calls from the other leagues, they just can't even compete with the money. So mm. Interesting how that works. People with more money are able to take things from people that don't have as much money. It's, I mean, it's a phenomenon. I don't understand why it keeps happening, but it does. Mm. All right. My, far, my final parting thoughts to all of you is thank you. I know that Tom Brenneman is the headliner of the show. I know that many of you are probably uh, missing him from time to time, having to listen to, to mostly me and the rest of us around here. However, we, we pay attention to the numbers. We appreciate you guys sticking with us, tuning in. Hopefully, we're relatively entertaining from time to time. It's very difficult to run this show, quite frankly, and do a lot of the other things that we're asked to do around here. And uh, if we're being completely honest, I think that uh, I could probably even do a better job if I focused on just a show. But that's obviously not my main job here. And I hope to, in July, as I said before, I promise you, there will be a level of expectations that will be raised around here, and we will also be doing a little bit of a little bit more content, and we're excited about that. And we hope that you continue to follow us, continue to be uh, a part of our uh, whatever we want to call it, our our inner circle, because we have some loyal people that watch this show, and we have some loyal people that that care about what we're doing and where we're going and all those things. So we want to say thank you to you. For allowing us to do this every single day i do not take it for granted i genuinely mean that and i hope you have a great weekend you enjoy some reds baseball you enjoy the final four watch caitlin clark tonight at nine o'clock do yourself a favor you don't have anything going off let's be honest it's friday night there's nothing going on friday nights watch caitlin clark and then finally i think i'm gonna have to back out of what i said before i'm not gonna be going to an fc cincinnati game if it's 30 degrees outside i'm sorry i will go to the next one when it's at least uh the cutoff is gonna be 50 degrees that's my cutoff 50 degrees or higher i will be there but until get, then go ahead i was just gonna say gotta get there before everyone leaves gets yeah. plucked from the roster i was gonna say but until then hopefully the management of fc figure it out no excuses. Don't let these other guys come in. Take your best player away. This city doesn't believe in that. No excuses. Doesn't matter. You better keep him. I don't care if Arsenal calls. Doesn't matter. He should be a part of the blue and orange. That's their colors, right? All right. That's it. See ya. Enjoy your Friday and Saturday and Sunday, and we'll talk to you back again on Monday. Take care, everybody.